Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I interview Alexis Shepard, a ninth-year educator. Alexis is no stranger to burnout, but she had a desire to take steps towards bettering herself and her career, and it led to the creation of her brand, The Afro Educator. In her work, Alexis seeks to create solutions to help improve teacher outlook and sustainability in the profession. Listen in as Alexis and I have a deep chat about how notions of being a quote-unquote good teacher can cause limiting beliefs that can stunt our potential for growth. Hi, Alexis. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Hi, I'm so excited to be joining you and to be having this conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy we connected. I've been following you on your Instagram, The Afro Educator, for a while. And one thing that I love about you is you're really passionate about teaching, but you're, I feel like, very similar to me where you're a very outspoken truth teller. And Mm -hmm. that is something that I really, I feel like connected with you and wanted to make sure that I brought you in and told and shared your story. So for anybody who's just finding out about you for the first time, who are you and you know, what are you passionate about? Yeah, so uh, my name is Alexis Shepard, also known as the Afro educator. And I have been teaching for about 10 years. This is technically year nine for me, but I round up. Um, And I'm elementary certified in the state of South Carolina, which means that I can um, teach grades two through six. And so I have literally taught grades two, four, and sixth grade. I'm currently teaching middle school ELA full time. Um, But with all of my other time, I use that to just exercise my passion about teaching and how passionately I feel about um, the systemic change that needs to happen in our profession. So, you know, mostly that looks like curating community on Instagram and on Facebook. It looks like me taking any opportunity that I can to be outspoken about this topic. So this conversation 
um, and so many others that I've had to, I don't know, try to create some sort of impact and change around because, you know, teaching wasn't something I saw myself um, doing growing up, right? Like I wasn't one of those people who, you know, taught their stuffed animals and just knew that I was going to teach. I kind of came into the profession haphazardly right before college. And so, um, you know, it's funny that I'm so, you know, I got into this work and have been so passionate about working with and motivating and connecting with students. But in doing that, you know, for the last 10 years, I've also discovered that I'm really passionate about the the teachers who are doing this work and how much it is um, burning us out, how overwhelming it is, and how it seems that more and more it's not sustainable and people don't view it as sustainable. So not only are people leaving in droves, but then there's also a lot of data that says that people don't even want to be teachers. You know, there are fewer people who are going into um, the education space. And so I feel really passionately um, about doing something to change that and about calling out not just the systemic issues, but also, you know, the other things that we just kind of accept in teacher or school culture and are afraid to call out. You know, those making those conversations that we have in our classrooms behind closed doors public. Yeah, what are a couple of those topics that you're the most passionate about? Yeah, absolutely. One would probably be, the top one would be the gaslighting that occurs with educators. And so I think about things like Jeans Day, right? This has been my new thing to get on because um, I have been in several situations, several, I mean, almost all the schools that I've worked at where it's like, you've worked really hard. This has been really challenging. How about let's wear jeans? And, you know, for the first few years of my career, it was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. This is great. We get to wear jeans. And then as I've really settled into, you know, the work of teacher wellness and teacher self-care and really evaluating what it means to teach well and comparing that with what they, quote unquote, are telling me it takes to teach well, I just started asking myself, like, why is this something that I'm being rewarded with? Like, first of all, why are we still ascribing to the notion that jeans are unprofessional, (laughs) especially when we're in a profession that you know, where we're trying to relate to students um, and where, you know, it's hands-on. You know, we're coming alongside our students to motivate and encourage them, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I just started asking, why is this something that my administration or in some cases the district is using to try to motivate me? I just don't understand it. It just seems like such a pithy reward for all of the things that we, I mean, I would say struggle with, deal with, that we accomplish. And so that's one of the conversations, one of the ones I've been having recently is this whole thing about jeans day. Like, honestly, some of the most comfortable things I have in my closet aren't jeans. And I'm wearing those things to work anyway. I love skirts. So I wear flowy skirts to work. And those are just as comfortable, if not more, they're my jeans. Yeah, I I mean, I just, I really wanted to add to that because that's something that I hear all the time from teachers who get their brand new positions and then they come back to me and they say, oh my gosh, Daphne, you know, within a week or two, I realized how valued I am. I realized how respected I am. And I felt the exact same thing when I left the classroom as well. 
I have seen what respect looks like. Mm -hmm. And from this role with this, you know, audience, I have well-meaning administrators reach out to me and say, what can I do to support my teachers? Mm. You know, that there are people who listen to this just to hear Mm. what they can take away. And it seems like it's so obvious. We'll respect them, but it's just become part of the norms. Gene Day Mm -hmm. or like, oh, I appreciate you. Here's a candy bar or some stickers. Uh, And it's like, that's not how you show me respect. uh, That's not how you show me that you're valued. And it seems like it's so clear from teachers. But I think that we're making the inference that they know that. And sometimes I think giving them the benefit of the doubt of like, if you're listening right now, principal so-and-so, Jean's day is not the answer. The answer is giving me more time. The answer is respecting me and understanding that I need to have autonomy. I need to be able to own my own decisions in my classroom. And if you have any sort of pull, let's push for some actual pay increases. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I also think it's this whole, um, you know, notion of even in thinking about jeans, right, the whole thing, like earlier in the school year, um, I had a scenario where, you know, principal comes over the, the intercom and is like, you guys have done such a great job this week. And, you know, teachers, you've been so well behaved. And, um, you know, we're going to reward you with jeans. And we all kind of looked at each other like, I mean, okay. And when you talk about autonomy, right, autonomy, I think extends to all of that. Why aren't teachers trusted and regarded enough as professionals to be able to pick out our own professional attire. And then if someone's attire is somehow distracting or quote unquote inappropriate in some way, addressing those on a case by case basis. And that's one of those, those uh, areas where I'm talking about gaslighting, where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this, uh, I'm going to make this a thing. I'm going to, I'm going to reward you with this this notion of, of being able to wear jeans because I, I just really, when I think about it, Daphne, I can't even make sense of it. And it's just this, the whole idea of control and the way that I'm supposed to be thankful and grateful that I'm allowed to wear jeans is just insane to me. And I think is uh, skirts around the real ways that our administrators can be supporting us. I think a lot of it, and I am one that hates to generalize. Like, I really want to be very, you know, cautious of making generalizations or assumptions. But I do think that one thing that I have noticed working in education for the past, you know, seven years and multiple types of roles, whether it was in teaching and multiple school districts or outside of the classroom working with school districts, a large majority of principals are, you know, those that identify as males. And that is not what the actual demographic of the majority Mm -hmm. of educators looks like. And it's always been kind of a strange disconnect of like, why Mm -hmm. are these the people that seem to be lifted up in positions of power to tell other people what to do? Like what makes it about this specific demographic Mm. that they're the ones that maybe they were in the classroom for a year, maybe they never were in the classroom at all and never want to generalize. But I feel like that is a pattern that I have seen across so many schools and districts that it it does feel like it is something. It does. And and you said something that reminded me. And add to that, right? So 
I'm, I'm a black teacher. I'm a teacher of color. And when you combine that with the context of the idea that, you know, black women in this country, our bodies have never been our own, right? And so then you add to that that you're dictating to me what I wear and you're telling me what is and isn't professional, I think it's a little tone deaf, and I don't think it's intentionally tone deaf. I think it's one of those um, we're not seeking to, you know, have that kind of information or to really explore why we have these policies and how these policies are really impacting us. We're just kind of going with it because it's what we've always done or because we have some rigid belief that this is what professionalism looks like. You know, I remember at the beginning of our school year back in 2019, I believe it was, we were having our whole faculty get together um, in the cafeteria the first day, you know, for staff to return. And one of the things that was mentioned was that there was a district meeting where our superintendent said, you know, the most casual that we ever needed to be was like, you know, khakis and a polo. And it's like, but why? And I don't think that people ask those questions. I don't think that there are a lot of administrators that ask those questions to superintendents. And I think it's because it's, it's less uncomfortable not to ask that question, right? Then I don't have to worry about looking like that person. I don't have to worry about, you know, whether or not I, I seem compliant. I'm going with whatever my leaders tell me to do. And that's kind of the position that I'm in is I, I'm, I'm at the point in my career and in what I want for my life and for teachers everywhere where I'm like, why? I want to ask those questions that are pushing back against these norms and against the status quo that exists oftentimes for reasons that you know administrators and district officials can't even give us another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Also, to kind of add to what we were talking about a little bit earlier is like thinking about the fact that we've been put as teachers and helper positions we voluntarily put into this type of position and it's kind of meant to be a always giving always giving kind of like Mm -hmm. a submissive role but then it feels like if we have valid concerns or complaints Mm -hmm. like you said you know we're either scared to actually voice them for the first times because that's not what we've been kind of conditioned to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been conditioned to kind of take on everybody else's issues and we are the ones who are going to solve those issues in these positions and that's right. you know what we do. But if we do have genuine concerns and genuine complaints, it's often when you get gaslit or you're yep. kind of fed toxic positivity of like, why don't we come in this with a good attitude? And it's like, oh, I am having a good attitude. Mm-hmm. However, right. I have concerns about my health or yep. <laughs> like, yep. like you can have valid concerns and also still be saying, let's make an action plan to move forward and solve this without yes. saying you can't have com- concerns. That's yes. like the big difference. Yeah, it really is. Um <laughs> 
So it, it reminds me of this situation. So back around November of 2020, I was really, really feeling it. Like I was super, um, I don't think I was burned out, but I was really just exhausted and at my wit's end. I was teaching virtually and face-to-face. So I had a couple classes that were face-to-face and one class that was virtual. And I really went into it with this, um, you know, kind of chip on my shoulder taking teaching virtually as a challenge. Um, I really had the best intentions. I had a system in place that I felt like was not only going to be helpful with my virtual students, but also there were a lot of pieces of that that I could employ with my face-to-face kids to create some continuity. So if kids switched between platforms, I mean, I was so confident about this, and I was really confident and my ability to connect with the kids and to be flexible and to, you know, essentially be everything that they, you know, needed during that time. And so, you know, after first quarter, like most virtual teachers, motivation is really low and kids aren't turning things in. And in my district, I don't know if it's like this everywhere, but um, there are certain grade minimums that we have to submit by the end of each quarter. So by the end of each quarter, you need to have this many minor grades and this many major grades. Well, when I started the school year, my intent was really to focus primarily on my kids' social, emotional well-being. How are they doing? Getting them adjusted to just logging in virtually. I mean, for the first three weeks, I didn't assess anything because I was just trying to, we were just kind of trying to figure it out. And I wanted to give me and my kids space to just do this whole virtual thing really simply. Let's log in, let's have a conversation, maybe let's throw some academic stuff in there, and you know, let's ease into this. I wasn't concerned about just giving grades just to be able to meet those minimums, and I knew that. So when the end of the quarter came and I didn't meet the minimums, we received a, a blanket email that reminded us, hey, you need to make sure that you're meeting the marks for these minimums. And I was really stressed about it because even though the email wasn't addressed directly towards me, and even though I'm sure there may have been other people in the building who, you know, maybe fell into a similar situation, I felt like, okay, if I'm a part of a group of people who, you know, are not meeting the minimum requirements, and this is some attempt to motivate them to do so, I'm going to need some support. And so I went to my assistant principal and asked if we could have a meeting um, so that I could discuss some concerns, you know, because it was at a point where I was like, my toolbox is all tapped out. And if these are the expectations that that you have, and these are the expectations that you're expecting me to uphold, then we're going to need to combine toolboxes. You know, I'm out of tools. I'm going to need to see what tools you have or what tools you think you can acquire so that we can collaborate and figure out how I can, you know, come up to standard if me not being up to standard is an issue. And that meeting never happened, long story short. Um, And there was also never any attempt for that meeting to be rescheduled. And it just kind of made me feel like, you know, that my concerns weren't valid because there was not any follow-up behind that. And it was really frustrating uh, because on the one hand, I'm being told these are the standards that you need to live up to. But on the other hand, then I feel like I'm not receiving that support. So, you know, you're right. There's an inconsistency there. There, There's a discrepancy there. And I think that what administrators really need to understand and be empathetic towards is if you are asking for support, that is your last resort. Because that's humbling in itself is to say, I am a professional. You are giving me something that is seemingly impossible for me to do with my own resources. And I think you handled that in a very professional way 
way of like, let's figure out a solution together that we can both come to terms with. I don't know anything about your school. I just am empathetic that everything has been a dumpster fire. (laughs) Everybody, (laughs) everybody is just figuring out how to not drown in whatever industry they are in for the last year. But I do feel like this is the year that opened up a lot of people's eyes to the fact that they felt like they were giving and giving and giving and giving and giving for years. And then this was the year that they asked for support and they did not feel like it was there for them. And that's unfortunate. And I'm hopeful that this is the year that because so many administrators are noticing like, oh, this might be when all the teachers leave, we have to take them serious because before it was this blanket threat and maybe one or two Daphne Williams is left every year, but it wasn't in the same numbers that it is now. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that this is the year that they start to take more notice of these people will leave. There are other options for them and they're more aware of that than ever before. And they're thinking of it more than ever before so what can we do to help them feel supported to help them feel respected and to like move the needle in the other direction for once i'm hopeful i you know and and that that is the hope um but i also i also wonder how many administrators too have those thoughts of well everybody is experiencing this so you know essentially no one is special and you just got to kind of put your head down and, and get through it I know I have you know in in a way I've, I've had that experience and you know even in offering strategies for mitigation like hey how can we manage this I feel really strongly that there's going to be a mass exodus of teachers from classrooms and I want to help I want to be a part of you know some sort of strategic planning where we can find a way to support the faculty and staff here in ways that, you know, maybe our school won't be as much a part of the mass exodus. And even though I had, I had nothing at the time, you know, I didn't have numbers, I didn't have data, I just had a strong feeling because I know what it's like to be in this position. And I know already why teachers were leaving classrooms and how much COVID exacerbated that. And so, you know, to kind of have that pushed off, it definitely makes me think because I thought I just really had this confidence that, okay, I'm going, you know, in here with solutions, uh, not, not, I won't even say solutions, with strategies, I say for mitigation. And I'm hoping that we can at least dialogue about this. I'm not saying my strategies are the best or that they'll be the most effective, but I am saying that I have at least a starting point and something that we can talk back and forth about. And, you know, essentially the response was like, oh, those sound like good maybe even evidence-based responses um and 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 that was you know that was kind of that and it was you know well everybody's experiencing hardships everybody is is going through this you know sort of minimizing or at least what it felt like to me was that my concerns were being minimized and that you know essentially we had this meeting and it was more of a maybe a favor to me uh, and maybe even curiosity on the administrator's part to hear what I had to say. And certainly I appreciate that, but it is frustrating because it is like you said, Daphne, you would think that maybe at this point, admin would begin to take teachers more seriously because we are in such a dire situation. We had in South Carolina, 600 mid-year vacancies. And here, if you leave mid-year, then the, um, State Department of Education can suspend your teaching license for up to a year. 
and they have been suspending licenses left and right. But what it says is that people, teachers are so eager to kind of be anywhere else that they'd be willing to risk their credentials in order to do so. And I think we have to stop and take note of that, but nobody's talking about that. It also is an indication of I would be willing to bet that not all of those teachers left because they found human resources jobs or they wanted to become corporate trainers or they just have been wanting to find different jobs and they did. A large majority of them may have not felt like their school was capable of keeping them safe and healthy and were willing to take that risk or whatever hardships it meant financially just to keep them and their families safe this year. And that's a sad sad truth as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's something that I hope never happens again. And it, it comes with parts of that, you know, you have to understand that I'm a professional when it comes to even school districts and schools that forced teachers to go into school to work in a virtual classroom from eight o'clock to four o'clock on a computer, even if it was an empty classroom, but just because I didn't trust them to do their jobs at home, like every other, like professionals done in every other industry during this time, you know? Yeah, it's insane. I wanted to talk a little bit more about, you know, advocating for yourself. And I wanted to kind of hear some of your top things that you and other teachers are prioritizing saying no to for the following year? Oh man, this is, this is tough because every year it, it shifts for me. Um, the top, I mean, really and truly the top thing that I'm saying no to is, um, how do I say this and be specific is the expectations of what I will do if I'm quote unquote, being a good teacher. That phrase for me is is so problematic, which is why I say, quote, unquote, but I'll give an example because I feel like that's the best, not my best course of action for explaining this. So, for example, with the grade minimums that I mentioned earlier in this conversation, even though I understand that that's a minimum that my district has and that those are the standards that they have set forth for, you know, what it means for me to be doing my job. I also feel like any decisions that I make in my classroom that I can justify with student data and with my own data, with anecdotal observations, you know, then I'm doing my job well. And so for me, that means quality over quantity. Um, Every single quarter of this school year, I have struggled to barely meet the grade minimums that have been set forth by my district, but I'm also to be honest, not necessarily trying to meet them. I'm giving assessments when I feel like it's necessary for my students and when I feel like it's truly moving the needle forward in terms of identifying their progress, identifying what they know or allowing them to show what they know. So that's the first thing that I'm saying no to because it's very easy to get wrapped up into meeting these minimums and creating work for yourself and creating additional work for the kids too to be able to meet those minimums and it's not necessarily moving the needle forward it's you know maybe per- even perpetuating the idea that like you know i'm not giving quality items to grade and so kids start looking at assignments and assessments differently when they know that you're just grading every little thing and it creates an environment that i don't particularly care for in my classroom you know i've really worked hard to I feel like establish and cultivate a culture of wellness in my room where my first priority um, 
for my relationship with my students is to know that I care about them as people and I care about their development as people first and foremost. So, you know, that, that first thing for me includes saying no to really anything that I feel I can justify my actions for. So if that means that I'm not following a certain order of the curriculum, well, I have a justification for that, right? Like it goes back to that autonomy. Um, so anything that really undermines that, <laughs> um, I really have to take a look at and, and reassess. I really picked up on one word that you said that I want to really touch on, justify. Yeah. Justify. It's it's such a strong point and something that I really want to hit home here is like, if you are advocating for yourself, if you are pushing back, you do need to have a justification and you still need to be able to, with confidence, speak to your ability to teach your students and what yeah. you are doing to move the needle forward. And that's one of the biggest parts of, you know, advocating for yourself and speaking up is, is making sure that you are confident with what you are going to push back on and how yeah. you're going to push back on it. Um, you said you're South Carolina based. I wanted to ask real quick, do you have a union at the school that you're working with? No. So I am in that lovely part of the country where unions aren't really a thing. We have advocacy groups um, okay. that in some ways function and I say function like unions in the sense that, you know, they have the primary interactions with our general assembly and pushing back when it comes to like lawmakers and policies, but they have no power. So when it comes to, um, you know, the, so for example, my school has been face to face since day one, five days a week, and we don't have anyone to step in and intercede on our behalf that can sort of be a liaison between us and the district. It's us and it's them. I in Episode 15 of the Teacher Career Coach podcast, I interviewed Brian Rippett. He's the union president from um, Nevada. And we talked all about, you know, what people can do if they don't have a union. And a mm. lot of it is, you know, creating groups of people with the same focus, with the same, it's it's right. almost kind of building your own yep. mini union because the, the more voices you have with the same concern and with an organized concern, the more power you can actually have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also covered quite a bit in that about reading contracts, like how you said mm. your state was able to take away. There's potentially, depending on the specific verbiage in the contract, there's potentially ways that, you know, if you went on FMLA mm. or any sorts of like medical leaves, usually school districts, once it gets to a certain point, don't want to mess around with that being Right. something that they would take away but it's it's dependent on every district there are districts that will fine you three thousand dollars and there's principals that will you know threaten you with a fine but they never really can follow right. through with it or that district's not really known to follow through with it right and that's i get these messages all the time from people who say like i feel like i am suicidal i need out but if wow. i leave right now it is going to cost me $3,000 and I can't read all of the contracts, but like if it is that bad mentally, like just go to a doctor, try and get that mental health note, try and figure out what your contract says. Yeah, and, absolutely. you know, and what's really unfortunate when you say that and you talk about teachers literally being at, at the end of their rope, it's, it, what's also unfortunate about being in that space is that I know a lot of teachers, and, and I was one of these, um, 
where they actually don't feel like they even have any power and you have a system that also makes you feel that way as well. So you talked about the empty threats that, you know, some administrators will make and they make them knowing that as soon as the threat is made, I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to push back against it. I'm just going to try to put my head down and, and get through it and, you know, figure it out, so to speak. And so many of us, again, I was one of these people feel like, well, what can I do? You know, you know that you need the job, you know that you need the paycheck. And, and even more than that, so many of us love the work. Specifically, we love the connections with students and the impact that we can make there, but we don't have any uh, confidence or in some cases, even any knowledge of how much capacity that we have to influence our situations. That's not to say, right? That's not to say that like, oh, if we just think positively, everything will, will change. That's not at all what I'm advocating. But what I am saying is that there are ways that you can have agency. So for example, with me um, having a, a meeting with my principal several months ago, so even though nothing specifically changed, I do feel that the way in which we interact has shifted, right? Because he knows that I'm that person that's going to ask certain types of questions and that if I have certain types of concerns, I'm going to come to him and be very frank, professional, but very frank about my concerns. But he also knows that if I come, I'm not just going to come with concerns. I'm not just going to come with the hard questions, but I will also likely come with some strategies for mitigation, right? And so even though that doesn't seem like a huge change, it is because what it has done is it has informed him on ways that he can and cannot address me or approach me or expect from me. There has to be some room for compromise. There has to be room for growth and what you can bring to the table as well. And I know that I'm on team teacher every day, all day, every day. <laughs> but like you do have to be able to work for solutions together. Yes. And yes. if you are finding yourself in a situation where that collaboration just is not a natural fit and you love teaching, you love everything, try and find a school where you're a better culture fit. Right. Like that's... Right. That's my very first piece of advice, but just going back to touch, if anybody is listening that happens to feel rock bottom, please seek mental help. You know, that's why I always constantly am shouting from the mountaintops, please go see a therapist, please. You know, there's tons of <laughs> right. support because there are so many people who feel completely stuck and backed into a corner and they don't. Yeah. It has been a very overwhelming year mm -hmm. and it is, it can be a very overwhelming profession. Um, types of things that you can do to feel better and to start to love teaching again. Really, you know, people are sick of saying, you know, self-care, oh, practice self-care because a lot of it's, you know, put into professional developments, but without right. actionable steps or time right. to get, like, right. pra practice self-care at the bottom of this list of 20 things right. I'm asking oh you to do. <laughs> but like, I know that self-care is something that you're really passionate about and I you am. have a couple of strategies for self-care and like mottos for self-care that I think are really interesting. One of them specifically being, you know, self-care is not self-indulgence. And I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about that. <laughs> 
Of course, of course. So self-care, okay, I discovered sometime around 2018 that I was really passionate about teacher self-care. And the more that I dove into doing that work, right, like it also just so happened that self-care was becoming really, really popular in media and in social media. Everybody's writing books and self-care is becoming this buzzword. I love when things hit mainstream media and become a regular part of pop culture because it means that there's an increased awareness. However, it also means that the concept and the identity of, you know, of self-care in this case is cheapened and sort of watered down. And so let me first, you know, define what self-care is for me because I think people hear self-care and they're so put out with the word because anytime we hear it, you know, you think bath bombs, chocolate, wine, massages, manicures. And those are luxuries. Those are things that we enjoy, things that provide, you know, maybe even a temporary relief from whatever it is that we are experiencing, right? Like I have my ice cream, I'm indulging in that ice cream, and I can kind of escape and be in my little bubble with me and my ice cream for, you know, 30 minutes or, you know, or however long that is. Self-care, though, really, ultimately is the work of being self-aware enough such that you can make choices and choose behaviors that reflect that you are your highest priority. So when I talk about how self-care is not self-indulgent, I want to be very clear with people that when I use my platform for wellness and self-care, I'm not really talking about those self-indulgences. I'm talking about the hard work of looking at yourself and saying, okay, these are my proclivities. This is what I'm inclined to. You know, for example, I know that I tend to, um, you know, have these really like negative and spiraling pessimistic thoughts. One negative thing leads to the next negative thing leads to the next negative thing. So because I know that I have that propensity, I know that when something stressful or something obnoxious comes up, I'm going to be more likely to fall into that. So then how can I, as those scenarios occur, make choices that um, will impact that in some way so that I'm not spiraling? Because to me, what that does is it shows that I am my highest priority because I'm taking care to ensure or to try to mitigate this fact that I'm having all of these negative or pessimistic thoughts. So for me, self-care is really about uh, the inner work and it's about the awareness that will lead me to do things for myself that show that I am my highest priority. Now, some people might say, well, for me, that's, you know, taking care of my nails or that's, you know, looking really nice. But I challenge, you know, anyone that has those thoughts to think about self-care on a deeper level and think, okay, what could I do that's really going to impact not just how I feel about, you know, my work, but also how I feel about myself and how I feel about my life. How can I make choices that are really going to impact those things on a longer term as opposed to something that's just going to make me feel good for a few minutes or a few hours? I love that so much. I have been working with a health coach because I struggle a little bit with, I would say, pandemic emotional eating and like maybe some like binge wine drinking. Yeah. And a lot of that type of work that I'm doing with a health coach is not like her telling me like, girl, you can only have spinach for lunch or something like that. It's mostly (laughs) like, let's just stop and pull back and like, what emotions were you feeling during that time? And what 
a lot of people don't realize what self-care is. They're just getting in a bubble bath or they're just having that glass of wine or they're having that chocolate, but it's just masking the actual emotions that they're feeling. And they're not building a foundation for dealing with those emotions or how to actually move forward and not feel those emotions so much. They're just kind of like masking it up with something that feels good in that one little moment and not addressing the root of the problem. And this is not anything I would have been able to tell you about myself three months ago. <laughs> I thought I was doing okay. I mean, right. not. <laughs> right. But that, but that work, Daphne, is so important because ultimately that's going to have those long-term effects where you're going to be able to really prioritize you in a way that is most impactful. To me, that's what it's all about. You know, when I'm, you know, talking with teachers or like when I've done sessions before, um, like one of one of the sessions that I've done in the past is related to having teachers think about why they entered teaching and what their beliefs are around what it takes to teach well. Because I found that a lot of teachers have these, you know, sort of adopted these toxic narratives about what it means to teach well, right? Like if I'm a good teacher, then these are the things that I'll do, right? All of these beliefs that, you know, some of them come from our own personal experiences. Some of them come from, you know, our Um, college experiences and our clinical experiences as student teachers. And then some of them come from just, you know, what we see on social media, a viral video that maybe we see on social media or something that a principal tells us in a staff meeting or something, you know, some mantra that our um, district or our superintendent wants us to abide by um, or to, you know, ascribe to. And it's like, even reassessing and evaluating those beliefs and getting to the root of, you know, who are you? What is it that you value most about teaching? Like, what is the most important thing for you? You know, for me, the most important thing for uh, my relationship with my students is for them to know that they are cared about on a human level. And so then every decision I make is through that lens. So when I talk about self-care, it's almost like this, this concept of putting on a different set of glasses and allowing what I see through those to help me make my choices. When I do that day after day after day, so when you're talking about like even your situation with the, you know, possible pandemic eating and binge wine drinking, which, hey, okay, I'm, I'm right over here with you. You know, it's about, okay, so you know that about yourself. So that's going to inform your choices and your decisions from here on out, which are going to have this more significant impact where you are going to be better because of it. I... I mean, I want to talk a little bit about even what you said just about like viral videos, because I do think that that's part of where teachers struggle is I'm going to make up a situation, you know, Miss So-and-so water paints every student's portrait every single year. She does six portraits per year. And at the very last day of school, she drives all their houses and she shows them how they've grown through water portraits. And it's like a (laughs) mashup video and it's beautiful. And she figured out where all they lived. She took, you know, six years of her life to do it. And, and then there's the teacher who sits down and just has an authentic connection with all their students, but like did not do all of those other things that teacher maybe went on a hike with their loved ones or right, maybe right. spent th- maybe spent their birthday sleeping in or like whatever whatever they do those teachers are still both great teachers like i saw yes. all these you see all these videos or you have 
those teachers at your school that yep. go above and beyond, but like that's their heart. And because their heart leads them to do that doesn't mean your heart is yucky for not doing that. Absolutely. And I, and I would even stretch and say, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily categorize it as above and beyond. I mean, it's easy for us to perceive it that way because that's based on what our construct is of what it looks like to teach well and to be great. I think it's about how we identify greatness in the context of what is best for us. You know, that's something I talk to my kids about is that like best for you may look like an A, best for this person may look like a B and that's okay. It's not that one is better or worse. It's about thinking about it through the context of who you are. And, you know, like when I was in school, um, you know, when I was in college and I was going through school, um, Ron Clark Academy became a really popular, um, you know, thing in the media. We saw videos from the school everywhere. I even had the opportunity to go and tour, and it was this incredible, amazing experience. But what I found, and, and I'm included, you know, in this, this group of people, is that I went back to my classroom, and I tried to um, replicate all of the things that I saw. And for me, it wasn't sustainable. Number one, it just wasn't a part of who I was. Like, I'm not that person. Like, I, I don't mind trying new things, and I love a challenge, but I'm not that teacher that's going to stand on a desk and, you know, that engages with my kids in that way. I am that teacher. It's so funny because the one that you, the hypothetical teacher that you described, like, I am her and she is me. Um, I will, <laughs> you know, take my teacher chair to the front of the classroom. In fact, this happened today. I'll cross my legs, and I'll have a conversation with my kids about the concept of credit right? Or the concept of debt, or, um, you know, some of my, my students were sharing with me conversations that they were having with their families about college and, you know, whether or not it was affordable and how they were intending to go and just, you know, sitting and having those live talks and having those authentic connections. Or, you know, for me, it looks like sitting with my kids and talking to them about how I disagree with, you know, the notion of standardized testing and what toxic ideals I think it perpetuates. You know, it's about knowing, you know, essentially like staying in your lane, knowing what, well, first of all, knowing what your lane is and then staying there and recognizing that greatness, in my opinion, is your capacity to stay true to what is most valuable and what's most important to you. And I think that we get so far outside of that when we see these viral videos and we're trying to be like this teacher over here or that teacher over there is for some people that works, but ultimately it's about asking, is this authentic to number one, who you are? And is this authentic to what your belief is around good teaching? And I don't mean like your belief based on what everybody else thinks, but when you really look at your heart, when you reflect, when you're introspective and you think, okay, this is the number one most important thing to me about what I do in my classroom. And then asking yourself if the choices and the decisions you make reflect that. And if you can say yes, then in my mind, that's greatness. I think we get caught up with the ego and it doesn't happen as much in other industries if it doesn't come with some sort of like pay increase or salary right. bump. So with <laughs> teaching, it comes with, you know, who's changing the most lives and we have yep. to do it on like a public kind yep. of a public platform for us to feel that motivation, like whether it's intrinsic motivation, because we're not getting that extrinsic motivator, like right. financially that you get in other industries. Um, Alexis, I wish that we could talk 
all day, every day. This has been the funnest conversation, yes. but I do have to wrap it up. But before we say goodbye, where can everybody find you? Yes, I hope you all will join my community. So I am over on Instagram at The Afro Educator. You can also visit my website at www.theafroeducator.com. I've got a couple of freebies on there if you're trying to establish or cultivate a culture of wellness in your classroom um, as well as for yourself. Also, you can opt in and subscribe so you don't miss any of the really amazing stuff that I have coming. And I will link all of that in this episode's show notes so it's very, very easy for them all to find it. Alexis, it has been such a pleasure. I'm so grateful for you for coming on and having this conversation. I learned a ton <laughs> during it, and I know that everybody is going to be really excited to connect with you. So just thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you, Daphne, and you providing the space for me to share. A huge thank you for Alexis for coming on to speak to this community and sharing your wisdom. You can connect with her on her Instagram at The Afro Educator. And if you enjoyed this episode, I suggest you go back and listen to some of my past episodes on burnout, therapy, self-care, and sustainable teaching practices. I'll see you on the very next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. Mm-hmm.